Hey everyone, it's Christina, Tim and Sean here from The Good GP. You may have noticed that we have been a bit MIA this year. Well, we are back. But before we get into this episode, we have some changes we wanted to share with you, as well as some good news. Yeah, that's right, Christina. Since 2016, The Good GP has been produced by the amazing team at ROCGP WA, and we're so grateful for their support. In particular, we'd like to give a shout out to Hamish Milne and Lisa Francis, who have put so much effort throughout this time. Moving forward, The Good GP will be produced by the team at Talking Health Tech, a leader in the innovative health podcast space. The good news for you guys is that not much will change. It's still us, same name, same format, and we'll still be delivering short and punchy episodes on all things general practice. We're hoping that with this change, we can get episodes out to you more frequently and engage with you, our listeners, more. Speaking of which, we'd love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions for future topics, or generally want to say hey, drop us a line at thegoodgp at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. You're listening to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs. Hi, this is Tim from The Good GP. Before we start, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we're meeting today. I'm on Wadjuk country in the Noongar Nation, and I'll pay my respect to their elders past, present and emerging. Today on the podcast, I'm interviewing Dr. Renita Siru-Sabatino, who's going to discuss the diagnosis of secondary hypertension. Renita is a clinical endocrinologist and works in chemical pathology and endocrinology for Western Diagnostic Pathology. Renita, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Tim, for having me. So let's just j- jump right into it. Before we start, it's probably worthwhile defining what secondary hypertension is. So secondary hypertension is basically hypertension due to another medical cause. The common ones would be other kidney conditions or endocrine conditions, and sometimes it can also occur in pregnancy. So let's talk about what we know about secondary hypertension, the demography, How common is it and what are some of the indicators that a patient might have secondary hypertension if we're diagnosing with hypertension for the first time? So it's more common than we used to think. Among patients with hypertension, the prevalence may be as high as 10% and of that 10%, 6% of that is thought to be due to primary aldosteronism. In some population groups, though, obstructive sleep apnea, the prevalence may be even higher If we're seeing a patient who we think has secondary hypertension, it may be because they are very young, so less than 40 years of age at onset of their hypertension. They may have a family history or they might have target organ damage out of proportion to their degree of hypertension. And this just is sort of an indicator that the duration of their hypertension is longer than expected. Patients also may have very resistant hypertension, so they might be of an older age group, but their hypertension is hard to control with three or fewer agents. The final thing to consider is if there's a sudden onset or acute worsening of hypertension, or if they're presenting with a hypertensive urgency or emergency, these also indicators that they may have a secondary cause. Yeah, look, that's really helpful. So particularly thinking about it in the patient who's perhaps much younger than you'd expect for hypertension and any signs that there's more severe hypertension by way of damage or or, or symptoms. Yeah, exactly. Great. So let's now sort of dive into what the causes of secondary hypertension are and how common those causes are. 
So I like to think of the two common causes in broad categories, so renal and endocrine. And then under your renal causes, I also lump in renovascular causes. Any cause of renal disease, acute or chronic, can cause hypertension. Some of the renovascular causes may be fairly uncommon, like fibromuscular dysplasia in young females, but atherosclerotic renovascular disease can happen in anyone with atherosclerotic risk factors. In this category, that a sudden occlusion of a renal artery could account for, say, an abrupt onset, which is one of the sort of indicators that a patient might have secondary hypertension. In amongst the endocrine causes, the three you'll most commonly hear would be primary aldosteronism, Cushing's disease, a fair chromocytoma. Of these, primary aldosteronism is by far and the way the most common cause. And it's also the most insidious. Hypertension may be the only symptom associated with primary aldosteronism. Primary aldosteronism, we think, accounts for a large majority of cases of secondary hypertension, approximately similar to the prevalence of renal disease. Cushing syndrome and theochromocytoma generally account for less than 1% of secondary hypertension in a population of hypertension. So still relatively rare, but more common than in the general population. I think after considering renal and endocrine causes, the next group is kind of miscellaneous. And in amongst there, I think obstructive sleep apnea is probably the one not to miss. The relationship between obstructive sleep apnea and secondary hypertension is complex. In some cases, it may be a cause. In other cases, it may be an association. In some cases, the obstructive sleep apnea is associated with primary aldosteronism as the cause of hypertension. They say in some patients with obstructive sleep apnea, the prevalence of hypertension is around 20%. So that's quite a large number of patients there. And then finally, it's important not to forget drug and medication causes, so non-steroidal anti-inflammatories or other stimulants, alcohol, even excessive licorice can do it. Um, And then also in that list of miscellaneous causes is aortic coarctation, but again, less than 1% of cases. Great. That's a really helpful list, Renita. So we think about renal causes and renovascular causes, then the endocrine causes and of the endocrine causes, just to hone in on, on one, hyperaldosteronism. People often use the term con syndrome. Is, is hyperaldosteronism con syndrome? Yes, that is what we called it when we were using eponymous terms. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for proving how old I am. Um, <laughs> um, and after those endocrine causes, sleep apnea, drugs and medication, and then a few cardiovascular causes. And don't forget about licorice poisoning for all those licorice causes <laughs> out there. Yes, yeah. I think it's just remembering that to ask a very detailed medication history and other substances. Great. <laughs> uh, okay, physical examination, because that's, I think, the next thing that we sort of tend to come to when, when we've exam- we see someone with really high blood pressure, we want to examine them. What kind of things should, should we be looking for in the physical examination? Yes, so the list in Talion O'Connor is extensive. Basically, a very thorough cardiovascular examination to start, looking for things specifically like radiofemoral delay, bilateral blood pressures, aortic, so like a murmur of aortic stenosis, that would actually probably be aortic coarctation. And then renal bruise for renovascular disease, again, something I've never heard personally, 
and evidence of concentric left ventricular hypertrophy, such as a hyperdynamic apex beat. And then you're also wanting to be looking for general stigmata of endocrine diseases, so BMI, neck circumference for obstructive sleep apnea, and then sort of proximal myopathy, wide purple stria, thin skin for Cushing's. But yes, you know, apparently you're supposed to use skin fold calipers on the back of the hand to examine for thin skin appropriately, but I don't know anyone that carries around said calipers anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Great. All right. So that's the examination. So the next thing I think a lot of GPs will come to is, well, if I'm considering secondary hypertension, what's my list of investigations that we should sort of put out there? Yep. So at the bedside, you can do a urine dipstick quite quickly for hematuria and proteinuria, trying to exclude like a glomerulonephritis or other nephritic cause for the hypertension. And then you can do an ECG and look for evidence of left ventricular hypertrophy. In terms of biochemical investigations, you'd want to do renal function, a urine albumin creatinine ratio, and then along the lines of renovascular causes, you may want to consider renal artery dopplers, knowing that this is a little less sensitive for uh, cases of fibromuscular di- dysplasia, for which you might actually need to do a CT angiogram. So I would be getting the advice of a nephrologist and my radiologist at that point. <laughs> now, in terms of the investigation of endocrine causes, the main investigation not to miss is an aldosterone-renin ratio for primary aldosteronism. It's really important to do it as soon as you suspect secondary hypertension for a few reasons. First of all, not to forget it as primary aldosteronism is really common. And if you don't do that aldosterone-renin ratio and you're only looking at their urea and electrolytes, hypokalemia is not actually that common in patients with primary aldosteronism. It used to be thought of as necessary for diagnosis, but that we know that's not true anymore. The next thing is that an aldosterone-renin ratio, if it's done in a patient who doesn't have any antihypertensive therapy on board, it's actually a really simple test to do. The patient has to have been upright and walking around for a couple of hours, and then they can just present to the collection centre and they'll get asked to be seated for 15 minutes and then the blood can be taken. Once you've started antihypertensive therapy, then it can get very tricky to interpret the results because all of virtually all of our antihypertensives interfere. Well, actually, they have direct effects on the renin, angiotensin, aldosterone system. And so they will make interpretation of the ratio quite tricky, particularly if there's multiple. And so then if you really want to get a reliable aldosterone renin ratio patients on antihypertensive therapy, you have to ask them to withdraw their antihypertensive medications, potentially replace them with other antihypertensives like verapamil or moxomidine, and then they have to be off those antihypertensives, the interfering ones, for four to six weeks in some cases to ensure that you're getting a really good ratio. So that can be quite complex and also a bit risky for the patient sometimes. In terms of screening for Cushing's and pheochromosotoma, generally speaking, you would only do that if you had a high suspicion and you would sort of not necessarily proceed in that direction unless you had some physical signs to suggest or a very suggestive history for pheochromosotoma. The reason being that 
even in a high percentage population, the general prevalence is very rare. So your pretest probability starts out extremely low. And because you're doing a screening test with higher sensitivity, you're far more likely to get a false positive than a true positive. So that does open a Pandora's box for the patient of where they go next from there and how much further do you take the additional screening, the confirmatory testing and so forth. If you do decide to screen for pheochromocytoma, then a fasting plasma metanephrine is simple to do and a positive result would be sufficient reason to onward refer. And it can be done at the same time as the aldo-renin ratio. It's just that then the patient would be fasting for both tests, which is not an issue. For patients with suspected obstructive sleep apnea, I rely on a stop band questionnaire to decide who gets a sleep study and who doesn't. But beyond that, I get advice from a respiratory physician. That's really helpful, Renita. Just to go back a second, um, you talked about screening for pheochromocytoma and sort of probably not testing unless you have a suspicion based on symptoms. What sort of symptom cluster would you be looking for? Yeah. So although the classical triad of pheochromocytoma, paroxysmal headache, hypertension, palpitations is really rare, those are still all the kinds of symptoms that I would be asking for. So headache, severe pounding and on and off set quite abrupt, as well as uh, palpitations, also tremor, and some patients do get flushing as well. If you do decide to screen for pheochromocytoma, then a fasting plasma metanephrine is simple to do and a positive result would be sufficient reason to onward refer. And you can do it at the same time as the aldo-renin ratio. It's just that the aldo-renin ratio would then be fasting, which is not a problem. Fantastic. Renita, that's been a really helpful discussion and helps us with an approach to the diagnosis of secondary hypertension. Thanks so much for all the information and thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Tim. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Good GP Podcast, a proud member of the Talking Health Tech Podcast Network. Make sure you're subscribed on your favourite podcast player so you don't miss an episode. If you have any questions or would like to contact The Good GP, send an email to thegoodgp at gmail.com. The content of this podcast represents the opinions of The Good GP, hosts and guests of the show. The content is aimed at general practitioners working in the Australian context and is not intended to represent medical advice. Any listeners experiencing symptoms or who have concerns about their health should seek advice from a registered health professional. We make every effort to ensure that the information shared is accurate and up to date at the time of recording, but welcome any feedback or corrections. The content of this podcast is general in nature and does not refer to specific patient management. We recommend all health professionals review local and up-to-date guidelines prior to any clinical decisions.